Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Tonight I get the privilege of being able to share the Word of God and a preach which I've called Make It Count. Now, most of you would know that I grew up in a very small country town on a farm. And I've got to be honest, there's still a lot of farm boys still in me. But one of the things that my dad always used to say was, make it count. And it was one of those sayings that literally applied to everything. Go collect the eggs. Make it count. And you go, oh, fine, go go collect the eggs. You need to understand, we had 1,500 chickens. (laughs) Go and collect the eggs was not the saying you wanted to hear. Now, if you think about that for a moment, there's only one thing slightly worse than go and collect the eggs. Go and deal with the poo. Because 1,500 chickens creates an awful lot of manure. And having to deal with that was even worse. Go take the rubbish out. Make it count. Why? For taking out the rubbish. Well, you see, we didn't have a garbage truck coming past. We had to take our rubbish and put it in an incinerator. And so we had to walk nearly 100 metres to go and put the rubbish in the incinerator. And that's all well and good, but what happens when some of the rubbish falls out on the way? What happens is that your dad gets really angry with you for leaving this trail. You need to make it count. On the sporting field, playing footy or tennis, dad was always on the sideline. Make it count. If you're going to lay a tackle, make it count. (laughs) Phil. I loved school. I loved going to school. I was that nerd. And my dad would always say, make it count. The school bit wasn't the problem for me. What dad would often say is, is that, hey, boy, if you're in a fight and you've got to swing a punch, make it count. My dad went so far when I left home, because I left this small country town to go to Adelaide to go to university. My dad went a step further. And even when, you know what, if you feel like you need to throw a punch, make it count. And it's better that you hit someone who is innocent than get rolled by someone else. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Wow. Welcome to my upbringing. (laughs) To be honest with you, it's a saying that stuck with me. You see... I was a high school maths teacher for 11 years. I have officially been trained in torture. 
And as much as I love teaching maths, whenever you teach, it's not so much about the content, it is always about the people. Think about it for a moment. If you had a favourite teacher at school, it predominantly wasn't because of what they taught. It was predominantly because of how they made you feel and the relationship that you had with them. You see, for me, I love teaching senior school. Year 10, 11, 12 boys. See, whenever you teach year 11, 10, 12 boys, there's inevitably this authority that, you know, you want to just see how far you can really go. And I always used to have students would come up to me, I mean, seriously, would come up to me and go, hey, Mr. Bennett, hey, seriously, what would happen if I threw a punch? Seriously? You want to ask that question. You want to know what would happen if you're going to throw a punch. Well, let me tell you the answer. Make it count. Because I promise you, you get the first one. After that, I put you through a wall. (laughs) To which my students would look at me and go, you wouldn't do that. I said, mate, I would pick you up. I would run at a wall. (laughs) And you will hit it slightly before me. (laughs) Who would like to be in my class? Hey? In the early 2000s, there was a student. As I was walking into the classroom, the student came from the other side and we met in the doorway. Now, being the teacher, I asked politely, excuse me, would you move aside? You laugh, but this was the response. I said, okay, please, would you move aside? Are you kidding me right now? What is going on here? And as I looked, this student just leant in a little bit further. And subconsciously, I must have just leant back a little bit. And with my weight over my heels, this student pushed. Now, I would like to say that I was in complete control at this point. (laughs) I just wasn't. I saw red with my father's words ringing in my head. Make it count. So I was already one step back. So I tucked my shoulder... and straight into the middle of the classroom. 
but I'm not done. <laughs> to the back of the room. I looked at this student. He looked at me and smiled and nodded. It's like, that's right. I walked straight out of the classroom, straight into my boss's office, <laughs> and said, hey, you need to know, this just happened to your boss's son. <laughs> she looked at me and went, I can see that. Leave it with me. I wish I didn't do that. One thing that keeps going through my head, if you're going to go big, if you're going to do something, go big or go home. If you're going to do something, let's make it count. Now, let me put a bit of a proviso here. If you want to commit career suicide, that's a really good way to do it. If you're a teacher. It is not something that I would recommend. And yet, if you're going to do it, make sure you do it. Make it count. Where am I going with this, you might ask? <laughs> Apart from Jesus... When I look at scripture, one of the biggest characters that I can see that made it count was the Apostle Paul. You see, when we look at the Apostle Paul, he wasn't always the Apostle Paul. He was actually Saul of Tarsus. He was someone who was trained as a religious leader. He was someone who was... He would describe himself the Pharisee of Pharisees, the top of the top when it came to the religious food train. We first see him at the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a leader in the early church. Saul was there holding the coats of the men who were stoning Stephen to death. We see him one chapter later going door to door in Jerusalem, tearing Christians out of their homes to put them to death. On the road to Damascus, where he was going to continue his work, continue his mission of destroying the church, Jesus himself breaks in, in a blinding light. And Jesus says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not my church, me. You see, Saul was making it count Saul knew what he wanted to do and he was doing everything he can to make sure that Christianity was killed. Saul knew what it was to make it count. And Jesus looked at that and said, you know what? I can use that. It might be misguided. It might be misdirected. But that passion, that zeal, I can use that. All it needs is an alignment shift. And Paul, as he was then called, can make it count. Paul, Paul went from Saul, the persecutor of the church, 
the one who was doing everything he could just to tear it apart, to Paul, probably the greatest apostle outside of Jesus himself. Most of the New Testament that we have was written by Paul. Such was the conversion when he met Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I'm not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I'm with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Don't you realise that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Amazing portion of scripture of Paul describing what it is that he does to make it count. Trying to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I don't know about you, I find that freeing. Yes, there's a responsibility, do everything I can, do all that I can. But I'm not called to save everyone. I'm just called to do what I can. I love the imagery of the athlete running for the prize. With the Commonwealth Games on at the Gold Coast at the moment, it's an image that we're going to see lots of over the next few weeks. But if I'm honest with you, I also find this image a little bit difficult. See, I can agree with the thought of running to win, but to run to win means that there's a finish line. And it's easy to focus when you've got a finish line in front of you. And yet Paul's saying that we need to run our life like this. Now, even the marathon has mile markers along the way. So at least you know how far it is to go. But when it comes to my life, I find it really difficult to apply this scripture because I just don't know what I should be doing at what point and when. And so as I was thinking about this scripture, I was thinking of what is it to have purpose in every step? And I thought, you know what? There's actually three areas of my life that I want to run with purpose in every step. The first area is internal. I want to have purpose with every step in my life internally. Who here loves receiving gifts? Who wants a gift? 
Do you know that gifts is actually one of the five love languages? Giving and receiving gifts. So there are actually people that actually feel loved because they receive a gift. In James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4 in the message, it says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends. When tests and challenges come at you from all sides, you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colours. So don't try and get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work in you so that you may become mature, well-developed and not deficient in any way. Let me ask the question again. Who likes gifts? Uh, who wants one of those gifts? No. How do we make it count internally? Well, how do you view the challenges that come your way? You see, naturally speaking, we have a fight or flight response. Recently, they've just add, added freeze into that as well. Flight, fight, or freeze response. How do you handle the challenges that come? You see, each of those each of those responses—fight, flight, freeze—is all about protecting what we have. You see, when a challenge comes, we might fight to protect what we've got, or we might run away trying to protect what we've got. Or we might freeze in the hope that by playing possum, no further damage will come to us. It's all about that natural instinct of protect. But what if there's another option? What if we weren't to react but rather respond? What if these automatic responses are actually trying to get us out of something prematurely, just as the scripture was saying? Honestly, I struggle with this. Do I consider it a sheer gift when challenges and tests come my way? No. What's my natural response? My natural response is freeze. For some of you who have had meetings with me, you might have seen it. We're in the middle of a conversation and all of a sudden I just stop because I need time, I need to process, I need to work out what's going on before I can give a response. Personally, I like having all my ducks ordered nicely in a row. I'm a control freak. And the tests and the challenges that come my way just reinforce what I already intrinsically know, and that is that I'm not in control. And so it's not so much about what's going to happen around me. It's what am I going to allow to happen in me? How am I going to make sure that whatever circumstance I'm in, that I try to make sure that Christ is continually formed inside of me through those circumstances? You see, 
when we read that scripture, we all want the result. We all want to be mature. We all want to be well-developed. We all want to be not deficient in any way. We all want the result. We just don't want the process. And you can't have one without the other. We're called to be people of integrity. Integrity means that our words and our actions line up. It actually is the same root word as the mathematical, I knew I'd, you knew I'd get it in there somewhere, the mathematical word integer. And for those of you who remember, which is all of you, I'm sure, an integer are your whole counting numbers, one, two, three, four, etc. You see, integrity is that state of being whole, entire, complete, not diminished in any way, shape or form. Dan recently shared a message with us under pressure. And he kept saying, don't let the pressure shatter you, let it shape you. We need to make sure that whatever we face, that that pressure helps us to make it count internally. And whilst it's important to make sure that we count, make it count internally, it's also important that we make it count externally. You know, there's a saying out there that it's the thought that counts. It's a nice saying. The problem is it's just not true. Do you know how I know it's not true? Watch. Do you all feel better now? Because I was just thinking how amazing you all are. It just doesn't work, right? The thought that counts will find it's just not true. You see, we need to make sure that our lives count externally. You see, in your job, you probably have some key performance indicators, KPIs. What do those KPIs get lined up against? The results, the actuals, what really happened. You see, internally, you might want to, you might have thought about it, you might have really wanted to get the job done, but if you don't actually get the job done, you don't meet your KPIs. It's not enough to have it all internal, but you need to make it count external as well. Oh, but Ashley, isn't Christianity all about relationship with God? Absolutely, it's all about a relationship with God. But every relationship still has some action that needs to happen. It still has some externals that needs to happen. But Ashley, isn't Christianity an inside-out work? Yes, but it's got to get out. It's not just enough for it all to be internal. In James 2, it says, Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. 
Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? You see, we're not saved by works. There's nothing we can do to add to or subtract from what Jesus did on the cross. But we are saved for good works. And our Christianity needs to find itself outworked in our community. You see, it's not enough for our Christianity to be only lived internally. It's not enough for our Christianity only to be lived electronically. Our Christianity needs to be lived personally. When was the last time you thought to make a meal for someone else? When was the last time you had someone over into your home? How about buying some groceries or some petrol? Whatever it might be, our Christianity needs to find its feet and be outworked externally. Finally, our Christianity, we need to make it count internally. We need to make it count externally. We need to make it count eternally. How much do you think about eternity? For me personally, not much. I'm busy, I've got stuff to do, there's things to happen, you know, things to do, we've got to get these things happening. I don't often think too far down the track. I tend to be focused more on the present. But I think we need to have a focus on eternity that's going to motivate our present. You see, in 1885, a man by the name of Arthur Stace was born. He enlisted in the army, didn't get anywhere, left the army. He was a drunkard, he was illiterate, he couldn't hold down a job, and he turned to a life of petty crime. In 1932, he was sitting in a service not dissimilar to this one. And he heard a preacher saying, eternity, eternity. I wish that I could sound or shout that word to everyone in the streets of Sydney. You've got to meet it. Where will you spend eternity? Stace in an interview said, eternity went ringing through my brain. And suddenly I began crying and felt a powerful call from the Lord to write eternity. Even though he was illiterate and could hardly write his own name, the word eternity came out smoothly in a beautiful copper plate script. Stace said he couldn't understand it. But he still did it. For 30 years, Arthur Stace walked around Sydney and rural New South Wales, just writing eternity in chalk everywhere. Arthur Stace was one man with no education and a rough life, but he did what God called him to do. What's the impact? Great. So he walked around graffitiing everywhere. Fantastic. Some 33 years after his death, 
at the New Year's, fire, New Year's Eve fireworks in the year 2000, that one word, eternity, was emblazoned across the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Millions saw that. That one word was used in the Sydney Olympic Games opening ceremony. Millions saw it. There's actually a law in New South Wales still known as Arthur's Law, which actually still makes it legal for people to write in chalk on the footpath. What's the impact that one man can have? That's the impact that one man can have. We need to make it count into eternity. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in. Because where your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. How do you make it count eternal? Treasure Jesus. Prioritize him. Be motivated by the eternal. Live sacrificially for Jesus. You know what? There are some things that I don't want to be rewarded for here. I love being told I do a great job. I love getting the reward here. But you know what? If I can have an opportunity to store some of those rewards for heaven, let's take that every time. Let's make sure that we always think long. And let's make it count. Eternal. In conclusion, this year has been themed a year crowned with goodness. From Psalm 65:11, you crown the year with your goodness and your paths drip with abundance. You know the exciting thing for me about this is that we're actually living it already. It's a theme for the year, but it's not like we're building, or we are building, but it's not like we're waiting to the end of the year to see this happen. We're actually living this now. Can I encourage you, church? This year, we're going to experience many things, but let's experience them together. The highs, the lows, the tough times, the good times, the laughter, the tears, the mountaintops and the valleys. Let's do it all together. Whatever we experience, let's make it count internally, externally, and eternally. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 